is also residents. Um, Ricky, the last couple years before they planted Borger, was here with us. Um, this morning, um, Ryan Henson is here. He's going to be preaching for us. Um, Ryan is, I'm going to let him kind of introduce his story and his family as much as he would like. Um, but he is going to be planting outside of the Abilene area um, later this year. And one of the ways that we support um, church planning is as a church, we give 10% of the money that comes in back into church planning. Um, another way we do that is we try to give some opportunities for men to come in and preach, um, to share their story. Um, he's going to just continue on in Luke with us this morning, just like we've been doing. Um, Ryan actually had some ties to Pampa, um, and his grandparents uh, live here in town. And when I was 18 years old and left the States for the very first time on my very first mission trip, they were a part of that trip. And were so kind and gracious um, to love and support and care for me, and so have loved uh, the Henson family for a long time. And so glad for Ryan to be here to open up um, Luke chapter 6 with us this morning. So. Thank you. I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, before we start, I, I really want to take just a second um, and, and pray for uh, the Uvalde community, the families uh, there, the, the churches that are meeting there this Sunday morning. Um, I, as, as, as you see the news, I have three children. I don't think that really matters if I had children or not. Um, but, but you just have so many emotions and, and experience uh, that you just don't think you could comprehend ever. Uh, there's a, a community's worst fear that took place. Um, and so I found myself this week looking for answers. I found myself talking with people, trying to figure out, oh, well, what are the solutions to this problem? Um, coming up with all these solutions, putting myself in the parents' shoes. I was angry. I was sad. Um, I, I was frustrated, like many of us. And so this morning, I wanted to do two things. I wanted to read a passage before we started uh, this morning. But I also want to take the time to pray for the community, pray for those that are affected, uh, but just pray for um, our, 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 our church in the world. Um, it, it's so much more reach than just Pampa uh, or in Abilene, but, but we have this, this church, this universal church that we're all one. And so I'm going to read um, from Psalm 13 this morning, and I'm going to ask us to pray, and then we will get started into Luke. Psalm 13 says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I prevailed over him. Least my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Would you pray this morning? God, many of us in this room can't comprehend the emotions that are happening in Uvalde and the community, especially this morning as they are worshiping in their local churches. And I, I pray that uh, You will bring whatever you need to bring to that situation. God, if that's comfort, if that's peace, if that's love, if that's mercy, that whatever that you know needs to be done, God, I pray that it will be done. God, I pray that the people in this room are able to also lament and grieve for our brothers and sisters who are hurting. 
God, we just thank You for Your love and Your mercy and Your salvation. Amen. So we've been in Luke. I say we. I, I, I'm just kind of parachuting in here. I was telling Jessica on the way over here, that's my wife, uh, that it kind of feels like when you come to preach somewhere, it's like uh, getting unsolicited parenting advice from someone at a restaurant when your parent, kids are losing their minds, right? I don't know your context that well. Uh, I don't know you. For, you don't really know me. Uh, but I'm going to try to, 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 do the, to do the best I can in parachuting in this series. Uh, so we've been in Luke. Uh, y'all have been in Luke, and I am here. Uh, but last week you looked at uh, that the authorities, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees have rejected Jesus' authority. Right? They have rejected that Jesus is who He says He is. And we lay, the last verse you read last week, I believe, is, is verse 11, and it says, but they, talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so Luke is foreshadowing what we all know is that one day Jesus will be handed over, betrayed, and crucified because the people don't believe who He says that He is. He's claiming to have authority, which we've, kind of, we've seen uh, one through five as Jesus showing that authority with the way that He teaches, the way that He heals. He has this authority, but they're being rejected He's claiming to be Lord. That is being rejected. He is messing things up for them and their power. And so the leadership has rejected Him. We see that what comes next is that Jesus is raising up new leadership for a new community. And these leaders that He's raising up don't have a degree. They don't have the pedigree that the Pharisees and scribes have. But they do have Jesus. And so this morning we'll be in Luke 6. You want to turn there with me? We're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to read 12 through 19. Uh, but starting in Luke 6, this is what uh, it says. It says, In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when, he, when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became, a, who became a traitor. And he, talking about Jesus, came down with them, stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for for power came out from him and healed them all. Before we look at this passage, uh, one thing I like to do is I want us to uh, just take five seconds, and I want us to pray. I want you to pray for yourself and pray for the body that's in this room. So I'm going to give us five seconds to pray silently. Pray God will speak to you this morning, but God will also speak to us as a one body. So I'm going to give you five seconds to pray for yourself. Once you've prayed for yourself and prayed for the body in this room, God, I just ask that you pray for me. Take five seconds and ask God to speak through me, uh, that I'll get out of the way, that it won't be me speaking, but it'll be God's Word and God's truth in Scripture that is uh, coming through. So just take five seconds and pray for me.
God, this morning, as we come to look at what Your Word says, as we look at Jesus calling the twelve apostles that we know become so influential later on, God, I pray that You will uh, allow us to hear what You want us to hear this morning. God, that, that there's probably all kinds of distractions, all kinds of things that we're coming in here with that are on our mind, but God, I pray for the next 25 minutes that we can, as one body, learn from Your truth. So God, I pray for me. I pray that uh, You allow me to get out of the way. You allow any nerves that are there, any, any of my flesh that is wanting to perform or, or do well or whatever that is. God, I pray that You will allow all of that to disappear and it will just be Your Word and not mine. God, we thank You and we love You. Amen. Jeremy kind of shared a little bit about myself, but I wanted to share a little bit more. Um, so I am a church planning resident at The Well in Abilene. I've been there um, two years. Uh, basically learning how to uh, plan a church, what that looks like, uh, and what I would need to do that. I encourage you, if there's anybody in this room that is looking at wanting to plan a church, I encourage you, the Redeemer Network residency program, there's no way I could have done it without that. Well, I haven't done it yet, so bear with me. There's no way that I could think I could do it without the residency uh, program. Uh, but we, uh, we, my wife and I have lived in Clyde, Texas. We grew up there, graduated there outside of Abilene. Um, we thought that God was calling us to plant a church in Abilene. Uh, it made sense. Abilene's a little bit bigger. Uh, they need churches. Clyde is not as big. There's about three or 4,000 people in our city limits. Um, but but the, the school district is a little bit bigger. Um, but we, my dad's also a pastor in the town of where we wanted to plant. Um, and so we also thought, well, that doesn't seem like that would be right, a good fit. Right? But as we were praying, as we were going through his residency about a year ago, it just made itself evident that God was saying you need to plant a church where you love, where you care about, where you're already doing life in. And so God told us, we felt like God was saying plant a church in Clyde, and so that's what we've been working for uh, the last year. Um, starting kind of timeline, we'll meet with our core team in August, um, and then hopefully the first service, official service is in January. Um, and, and so we are very excited. So if you want to pray for us, that's one way. Uh, pray that, uh, that God will provide faithful people to come alongside us in Clyde. Uh, that we can also come alongside the established churches in Clyde. Um, and also uh, that we are just able to uh, continue on in the path that God has placed us. Uh, but Pampa also has a place in my heart. Uh, my grandparents are from Pampa. My dad graduated from Pampa. Uh, my grand, uh, did my grandma graduate from Pampa? My grandma graduated from Pampa. My my dad graduated from Pampa, my uncle graduated from Pampa, my aunt graduated from Pampa. I've got two cousins that graduated from Pampa, and then I've got another cousin that's graduating from Pampa in a couple years. And so Pampa has almost been a second home. Um, I grew up in the Panhandle, uh, so I lived in Canyon for a couple years, and I lived in the big city of Wheeler uh, for six years. Uh, left in eighth grade, moved away in eighth grade, uh, and that was uh, just a terrible thing in my eyes, leaving Wheeler, Texas, eighth grade, about to be able to play varsity football I was pumped, uh, but we ended up not being able to do that. But I was able to meet my wife, who we started dating at 15, and now we're married um, and have three kids. Um, and so we love Pampa. We love small towns, um, and we are excited to be here this, this morning. Um, so we find in this passage, Jesus embarking on the start of His ministry. Right? He's embarking on this new community. He's already been doing ministry, but He's been kind of doing it alone. And so we find that Jesus is ready to kind of start this, this public 
ministry to prepare for what is to come when He leaves and is ascended and He sits on the throne with His Father. What we see in Acts, He's preparing right now for, for that. And so this passage in Luke is a huge moment. Not just for the book of Luke, but also for Scripture. Right, Everything is culminating into this moment to set, in, set the plan in place for Jesus to be crucified. This is a huge moment. And what is Jesus doing? Verse 12, the Son of God, in these days He went out to the mountain to pray, and all night He continued in prayer to God. So this huge moment, we find Jesus in dependent prayer on the will of the Father. If He started at 8 p.m. and it is 6 a.m., He's praying for 10 hours straight. This is a big deal. Right? This is a big deal. Because we see from Adam in Genesis, right? The plan is set in place that there will be someone to strike the serpent. To, 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 to step on the serpent's head to crush the serpent to crush death. And then we see that that is the plan that's in place. And so then we see Moses comes on the scene. Moses has got to be the Savior. Right? He literally brings them out of slavery. Saves them. But then we see that their disobedience and even Moses' disobedience, he's not the Savior. And then we have the kings. Saul. Saul is the, the, the man's man. Tall, handsome. He's got to be the Savior. No, he's not. He fails. David, man after God's own heart, he must be the Savior. And it goes on and on and on. Failed kings, failed prophets. They're in captivity. And even now, they are being oppressed by another nation. They've been waiting for the One to come. And Jesus is that One praying this dependent prayer for the will of the Father. What twelve do I choose? Who are the twelve? I think sometimes we throw disciples and apostles, we throw that name around almost interchangeably. Um, yes, the apostles were disciples of Jesus, but disciples of Jesus were not apostles. Does that make sense? Disciples are followers of Jesus. And so Jesus has a, a crowd to pull from. He's got disciples that He can pull from. Who are the twelve to pick? I mean, wrestling with that, but also wrestling with knowing that He is choosing His betrayer. He's choosing a guy that he's going to walk around for three years with that is ultimately going to betray him, and he knows that. This is not an easy night for Jesus. He is in dependent prayer for the next three years, but also for who will be here when he is gone. Depending on the Father in heaven. And this is a the theme of Luke, the writer. Any big decision we see that it happens. In, in the Gospel of Luke, or happens in Acts, it starts off with prayer. He's praying. Make, Luke wants us to make sure that this is where we go first. So we see here in this passage that dependent prayer should be our driving force in our local church, in our families, in, in our community. To have this, this deep connection with God, to abide in Him, to, to be um, with God, not this ob obligatory or routine prayer, but just dependent prayer with the Father. That's why Jesus says in John 15, John 15, 5, 
says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, without Jesus, we are just a dead branch on our lawn that has no life, no fruit. But if we are abiding in God, then we are able to move forward with, with this dependence on God through prayer. With our families, with my kids. I don't know if you, if you have children, like, there, there's days where I just feel like I'm just putting out all these little fires with my, my kids. I, I have three kids. I have Avery, who is seven, who is going on 17. Um, I was a youth minister for many years, and she's been around youth, and so she just kind of has decided that she is also a youth, uh, just a teenager at times, and she's very strong-willed, which I know that that will suit her later on in life, but right now it's not necessarily suiting our family as much as it will later on. I have a son who's four, Jet, uh, who feels everything. He, he's very um, affectionate, very loving, but also very emotional. And so there are days where that gets the best of him and he doesn't know how to deal with his emotions. And so in the midst of all this, I have a third one who's 18 months and he's a breeze, right? He doesn't, he's just there. Uh, and he, he's, he's easygoing because he's a third child. We sometimes forget about him. Um, and that's not true. Well, okay. But anyways. But in the midst of all these fires, I'm trying to figure out what can we do? What strategy do we have? All this stuff. And so many times I forget that I just need to stop and pray to God. Right? Give these children to the Lord and say, God, help me with this. God, give me the strength. Give me the answer. Give me your will. Right? It's the same way with planting a church. I find myself, I need to make this meeting. I need to talk to this person. I need to have this much in the bank. I need to have this many committed. And I find myself trying to plant a church, to build a church without God. I have to be dependent on God, dependent on prayer. And Jesus is doing that. He prays all night. And He gets His answers. And He gets His strength. And He acts. Verse 13, And when day came, He called His disciples and chose from them twelve, whom He named apostles. So we have this moment where this, this plan is start. He's prayed. God has made, revealed to Him who the people, who the men are that are going to be His messengers. They're going to be His, his ambassadors when He leaves these, these Gospel messengers. And we have these men that are picked. And what is extraordinary about this group is that they are so ordinary. These are the men that were chosen by God while Jesus was praying all night. The ones who were going to lead the church after, or lead it after Jesus ascended. And Jesus chose unknown men. In fact, they were, most, of them were all, most of them were Galileans. What that means is they were just country boys. They're from Pampa. They're from the Fours. They're from Wheeler. They're from Clyde. They're not from the city. These aren't educated men. These are common men. Acts, the, the, the leaders in Acts call them uneducated common men. All were poor. No influence. These men are this new leadership that we will see much more apparent in Acts. And so we've got this this backdrop that we can't miss, this, this contrast of the Pharisees and the scribes who are rejecting Jesus, who have all the training, 
have all the pedigree, have wealth, have everything. They are the Jews, Jew. They, they, they know everything about the law. They, they know God. And they rejected Jesus. And Jesus says, I have the leaders I'm going to pick. And they're going to be nobody. They're going to be uneducated. And these nobodies do remarkable things. So much so and have such an influence that we look in Revelation and see that in the new Jerusalem that they will be remembered. In Revelation 21, it says this, starting in verse 13, on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. These nobody, ordinary guys do remarkable things. Oswald Chambers says this, says God can achieve His purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobody because their unusual dependence on Him made possible the unique display of His power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural ability. God uses nobodies because they have to be dependent on Him. And I like the end of that. He uses somebodies when they renounce dependence on their natural abilities, which is someone, when I, when I read that, I think of Paul. Paul was a guy that had the pedigree, had everything going for him. Right? And Jesus just changes his world and stops him and says, Stop. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says this, a passage we're familiar with. But he said to me, Jesus says this, My grace is sufficient for you. Talking about the thorn, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And these apostles had weaknesses, flaws. And God said, that's the people that I need. It's like the story of Gideon. Gideon is literally hiding. Hiding. And God shows up, the angel shows up and says, Oh mighty warrior! And Gideon looks around like, who is this guy talking to? Because I am not a mighty warrior. Right? But the angel is saying, God is going to be with you. He's going to use you to become this mighty warrior. Or when Moses is, 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 is saying, I can't do this, I can't do that. And God says, but I will be with you. In our weaknesses, God's strength is on display. See, God uses us despite us. Redeemer Pampa is not here because Jeremy is greatly gifted. But it is here because God was able to build this church despite Jeremy. Despite the elders' weaknesses. Despite all of us in this room's weaknesses, this is standing because God uses nobody. Nobody. Not nobody. uses nobody. These are the men, talking about the apostles, that turned the world upside down. They were dependent on God. God chose people that did not have a name, did not have influence, did not have wealth, 
did not have education, but chose people that would be dependent on Him. The twelve have been picked, and now we see Jesus comes down to the people. Look at verse 17. And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of His disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. So there's a ton of people there from all different walks of life. Possibly Gentiles are there also, not just Jewish people. And Jesus comes down off this mountain. They're waiting to be healed. They're waiting to hear the words of Jesus. And we cannot forget the context of this passage. They're right before it. The Pharisees and scribes are trying to shut Jesus up, right? They want Him to stop talking. They want Him to stop teaching. They want Him to stop healing. And we have these disciples saying, please heal us. Please speak to us. We have a crowd who's desperate for His physical and spiritually healing. And then we see that He comes down the mountain. And if you look at the Old Testament, so many big moments in Scripture is a man coming down off the mountain. Right? Moses comes down off the mountain with the Word of the Lord. So we see this, this perfect Moses coming down with his twelve disciples. Which also, if you look at the Old Testament, you see this typology here that there are uh, twelve tribes of Israel. And God calls twelve disciples. What God is saying with this is that there is a new community, a new tribe, a new nation that is coming, and it starts today. We have the perfect Adam, the perfect Moses, the perfect David coming down. Right? God had promised Moses that He would make a great nation one day, and we see the start of it here. We see this, this community starting here. Jesus is coming down with all authority, all power, from praying all night, completely dependent on His Heavenly Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit to begin this new great nation, this new tribe, this community. Jesus comes down to the people, the people that need Him. In verse 19, it says, And all the crowd sought to touch Him, for power came out from Him and healed them all. And so Jesus also heals them all. Everyone there that has an illness, a sickness, who is possessed, whatever they need, Jesus heals them physically. But what I think is interesting about this passage, what, God, what, what Luke omits is any story from those healings. Right? He just says He heals them all. He doesn't go into detail. I mean, can you imagine the stories? You have Jesus coming down off the mountain. You have the 12, the 12 apostles coming down. And then Jesus is just healing people left and right. He's changing lives. And Luke doesn't tell us any story. Why? Because the focus for Luke is what's to come next week. The focus for Luke is not the physical healing, but the spiritual. Jesus comes down off this mountain to share His message, which you'll get into next week with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus comes off, yes, He heals and He heals today and He will continue to heal. Supernatural. But what Luke is concerned with and what Jesus is concerned with is the spiritual health of this crowd. The message that He has for them. Look at Luke 5. You read this a couple weeks ago, talking about the call of Levi. Here's what Jesus says is His role 
coming down. Luke 5.31, it says, Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is a physical healer, but His saving message trumps bodily healing. He has the authority to heal, and He does heal, and He will continue to heal. But our world, our community, these disciples need the saving, healing message of Jesus. And we need nobodies who will deny themselves and share this message. They will deny themselves. See, we have a God that became a nobody for our sake. Jesus comes down, and Jesus came down for us. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is Philippians 2. Paul's talking about how we are to interact with one another, how we are to live our lives, and he uses Jesus as his example. But look at Philippians 2. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of this chapter. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. I'm sure this is the prayer of Redeemer Pampa. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also in the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, becoming a nobody, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself, not just to become a man, not just to become a baby, but by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so the name of Jesus every name should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ Lord, to the glory of God forever. We have a Savior that we can look to, that we can emulate. We need to follow His example, follow the disciples, the apostles' example. We need community. Right? That's why you're here. You're here because you want community, desire, community. This is what Jesus is setting up. And it's a community that is grounded in a bunch of nobodies dependently praying for the will of their Heavenly Father so that the saving message of Jesus can be spread. Not concerned with who we are or what we've done. Not concerned with how many are on here on a Sunday morning. Not concerned with, with what our job is or, or who we vote for or who we like or what our name is, or, or what our name isn't in Pampa. But we lay it all down for the sake of Christ, who's called us to be His ambassadors. Called nobodies like us to be the representatives of the Creator of the world in sharing His message. All we have and need is Christ's perfect salvation. Read the end of Psalm 13, and we'll be finished. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray.
Can I thank You that You're a God who calls those that aren't qualified, that calls those who have flaws, who have weaknesses, that You give us grace, that You give us mercy, that You give us love. God, I pray for everyone in this room to know that You love them, that You care for them, that You have salvation for them, and that You have called them as believers to be ambassadors for You, just like the apostles. God, as we continue in worship this morning, I pray that we will continue to be one body, unified in the fact that Jesus is Lord. We thank You, we love You.